Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Just those words alone express so much of the wonder and mystery of that night of Jesus' birth in the manger of Bethlehem. But after every night does come a brand new day, and even the night divine proved no exception to that rule. So the good news is truly that Christmas is coming, but moreover that yonder breaks the new and glorious morn. That's the subject of today's message, which is drawn from those words of the carol and continues our current sermon series on the way to the holy night. It's based on Isaiah 7, verses 10 through 16, and the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and tells this old and wonderful story from the unique perspective of Joseph. If it could ever be said that there is a forgotten cast member of the story of Christmas, I think it would also have to be said that that role easily belongs to Joseph. Now, I don't know who actually has the time for such things. I know I don't. But long, not long ago, I came across the work of a clergy colleague online who made a survey of all the words contained within the Advent and Christmas hymns included in his congregation's hymnal. And what he discovered in this survey is that in those songs there were, as one might expect, 309 references to the Christ child. Also, 48 mentions of angels, 31 references to Mary, and 23 words relating to the shepherds. But quite interestingly, he found that in this particular hymnal anyway, there was no reference at all made to Joseph. Not a one. Well, of course, that piqued my curiosity. So I did a very quick search of our chalice hymnal right here, and I found only one mention of Joseph in this hymnal. Anybody guess which hymn it is? Angels we have heard on high. See within a manger laid Christ whom choirs of angels pray. Mary, Joseph, lend your aid while our hearts in love we raise. It's the only place in the hymnal where you hear Joseph being mentioned. And even there... Joseph is sort of an add-on to the larger story. Now, granted, if you dig a little deeper into the wealth of Christian hymnody, there is wonderful music to be found where Joseph figures prominently. The Cherry Tree Carol, for instance. Joseph Dearest, Joseph Mine. And there's also some wonderful contemporary music out there. Joseph's Lullaby, I think Sarah danced to that a few years back. Uh, that comes to mind, and it beautifully tells the story from Joseph's perspective. But by and large, the, the music of this season does tend to cast Joseph in much the way we tend to see him in the creche, as a quiet, ever stalwart presence 
kneeling at the manger, even as he is overshadowed in the story by the likes of shepherd, wise men, and farm animals. In short, just another supporting player in the nativity drama, dwelling in the shadows of the holy light. And yet, I would submit to you that despite all outward appearances, Despite this, shall we say, subdued presence in the Christmas story, it is Joseph, Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus, who not only brings Mary and by extension us to the manger, quite literally, but who also, by his very example, leads us yonder to what is beautifully sung in O Holy Night as the new and glorious morn. Joseph, you see, is perhaps the singular figure within the whole nativity story who quite literally takes us to Bethlehem and beyond. Now, let's unpack that a little bit. To to understand this, we need to remember that, first off, that Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, from which our text this morning is drawn, in terms of both narrative and in tone, is most definitely different from that of Luke. As you know, Luke's story is filled uh, to the rafters, as it were, with singing angels and adoring shepherds and, and the baby Jesus in the stable with all those animals. Matthew's version, however, is much more cut and dry. It's remarkably brief, as Lisa read it to us this morning. And arguably, it's a far more somber account of things. To wit, After an entire first chapter in Matthew, listing off a genealogy that connects Abraham to Jesus, Matthew begins this story simply by saying, Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. No shepherds, no angels on high, no room at the inn, or no no room at the inn, no manger, no swaddling clothes. In fact, The one accruement to the story that Matthew adds to it, the wise men, they don't even show up until the second chapter. But what follows is, in fact, one of the most essential parts of the story. And isn't it interesting? That story is told from Joseph's perspective. And as such, if I might quote pastor and biblical scholar David Lose here, it's not so much, quote, a story of wonder as it is a story of heartache, unquote. Now, I know that to even suggest such a thing runs headlong against just about every image we've ever had about the story of Christmas. But we've got to understand this. Make no mistake, there is heartache in abundance in this story. Because as Lose also reminds us, Mary and Joseph, they were real people. Very young people, in fact, not to mention impoverished and without any semblance of earthly privilege or power. In our imagination, Lois writes, Jesus never cried. Mary looked more like a blushing young bride than someone who had just given birth. And and Joseph is calm, protective, and paternal. And yes, that's Kind of how we hear the story, isn't it? It's what we prefer as we tell the story. But in fact, as Matthew tells this version of the story, this whole event, 
with Mary and Joseph and the baby, it's all bathed in scandal. To begin with, we are immediately told by Matthew that when Jesus' mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. A simple statement of fact that we sort of take for granted uh, in our understanding of the story. But you also got to understand here that in first century Palestine, engagement was not viewed as it is today. It is, was not thought of as a romantic declaration of marital intent, but rather engagement in those days was considered to be a legal contract, binding in every respect. It was essentially to be married without having consummated that marriage or even living together. So, for Mary to be with child now would have been seen as sure and certain evidence that Mary had been unfaithful to Joseph. And, and this is the worst part of it, in full accordance with Jewish law, then would have been punishable by Mary having, being dragged out to her father's house to be publicly disgraced and to face death by stoning. It's right there in Deuteronomy 22, if you want to look it up. So that, in and of itself, is just about as disturbing a possibility as we can imagine. Because this is Mary, the mother of Jesus, we're talking about. But even that very real and, yes, very legal possibility aside, imagine the pain and anguish Joseph must certainly have felt at learning this news. Once again, can't stress this strongly enough, Mary and Joseph were real people. They had real feelings. They hurt. They had pain. They were confused. They were overwhelmed. And they lived in a world that was also real and harsh and judgmental. Now, I think it's safe to assume that by this point, Mary already understood what was happening to her. That's true. And yes, I'm sure Mary must have worried about this claim about the Holy Spirit was going to be received in and around the village of Nazareth. But she had already made her declaration, I will be the handmaiden of the Lord. Joseph, Joseph, well, you've got to imagine he's devastated by this turn of events. But friends, we're also told that, that Joseph is a righteous man. In the Greek, if I'm saying it right, the word estikaios, which means upright, virtuous, just in the eyes of God. And as such, one who sought to live wholly in accordance with the law set forth in the Torah. In other words, friends, once Joseph had received this news, according to the letter of the law, and he knew according to the letter of the law, there could well have been a rush to judgment for Mary. But unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, Matthew writes, Joseph chooses the second option, to dismiss her quietly quickly and quietly breaking the marriage contract, in essence, granting her a divorce without any public fuss. So right away, we have this new perspective on Joseph, a man who, despite 
what must have been a deep sense of betrayal and suffering, immediately begins to think about what's best for Mary. And as it turns out, it's just the beginning. Because just when Joseph is about to bring some closure to this situation, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's going to have a baby boy, Joseph. And you're going to name him Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. And, and, and Joseph, the reason this is all happening this way is because of Isaiah's prophecy. You remember Isaiah's prophecy. You learned that as a child, that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel. Guess what, Joseph? It's happening now. And it's you who's going to help it happen. Now, the upshot of all this is that as soon as Joseph awakes from this strange and yet utterly familiar dream, he's calmed down. And we're left to assume that he's got a deeper sense of, of God's intention about all of this. And thanks be to God that he did. In the words of uh, Leonard Sweet, at the moment the angel of the Lord appeared, the whole miracle of Christmas momentarily rested on Joseph's shoulders, awaiting his freely chosen decision to either accept or reject the stunning news of an impending Messiah. And the good news is that, like Mary before him, Joseph said, yes, yes. And he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. And a few months later, there's that so-called registration in Bethlehem, which also, not by coincidence, was happening just about the time the baby was born, was due to be born, which meant that the city was going to be crowded, the inns were going to be full, and maybe, just maybe, there'd be a stable out back, but you know the story. But first, before all of that, if I might quote David Lois one more time, I think it's safe to say that the months leading up to Christ's birth were not one blissful baby shower after another, but were fraught with anxiety and concern and flights of emotion. Actually, when you think about it, not unlike the kind of struggles we all face, baby or no, along the journey of life. What do we say to all this? Well... Actually, given all this backstory, I'd like to think that, that Joseph spent those months getting ready. You know, it's been said that uh, when a woman is expecting, or for that matter, as we have seen in our own extended family this year, when uh, a family is preparing for an adoption or foster care or bringing a child into their home, for a woman, it is said that the maternal instincts kick in immediately. But the father... For the father, sometimes it takes a singular moment like holding that child that he becomes a father. That's when he's a dad. Well, I would submit to you that that wasn't the case with Joseph. I have a sense that in those days leading up to the manger of Bethlehem, Joseph was likely spending every moment surveying the landscape, so to speak getting ready for this momentous, life-changing, world-shifting act of God, all the while trying somehow to comprehend 
what being an earthly father of the Son of God would actually be for him. There's this wonderful moment in the film The Nativity Story, one of the better uh, movies about this event, in which Mary and Joseph are talking to each other about the same things that all new parents talk about, what it's going to be like to have a baby around, how they're going to manage to do things and do everything that's going to need, need to be done, how they're going to feed this child and clothe it and change it and bathe it. And Joseph, at one point in this conversation, says... I just wonder if I can teach him anything. That's perfect. And might I add a very legitimate fear. And yet as this incredible story begins to unfold, what we discover is that not only was Joseph prepared for the day of his birth, but he was ready for the next day as well. In fact, I have to say that these days when I'm thinking of Joseph, It's not so much the silent holy night in the manger that I envision. But rather I'm thinking about the next morning as the sun is starting to rise. I mean in those moments after the birth itself. After the infant Jesus was wrapped in those swaddling clothes and and lay asleep in the manger. When that group of motley shepherds had come and gone and And Mary was left to silently ponder in her heart everything that was happening. When the animals eventually grew weary of all the excitement and opted to feed on some hay and get some sleep themselves. I like to think that that in these moments, after the bright star of that holy night had begun to fade and a new day was beginning, there was Joseph standing at the gateway of the stable watching the sunrise over the streets of Bethlehem. Just the same way that that sun had risen on countless days before that. Today, in a way unlike ever before in the history of God's creation. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. There would be more to come. The arrival at some point soon of Magi from the east, bringing expensive and very prophetic gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This news that Herod the king wanted to pay homage to this newborn king, even as his minions were seeking to slaughter any and all newborns that might fit the profile and be a threat to his power. And then, yes, another angel's message in a dream, telling Joseph to get up, get your child, take his mother and the child to Egypt so they'll be safe. In other words, friends, the story was just beginning. But in these wee hours of the morning, Joseph was ready for what was to come. You see, that's the thing about Christmas, beloved. So often, especially given that it comes at the end of a long Advent season of waiting, we assume that the manger of Bethlehem represents the end of the story. But in fact, it's just the start. The start of this remarkable tale of Christ coming into the world. A story of light that pierces through the darkness of of life. A story of redeeming hope coming into a culture that seemingly thrives on the threat of hopelessness. 
a, a story of joy that's unending and triumphant. And a story of our lives, your lives, my life, that changed forever because of this one holy child who grew up to save us from all our sin. So Merry Christmas, friends. And I I hope and pray that it's everything you're hoping and dreaming it will be for you and yours. Remember this. After it's all done, our time in the manger, that's when the work of Christmas and faith really begins. To be like Joseph before us, walking into the new and glorious morn of Jesus' birth, and by his counsel start to change this world for the better, making that fervent hope for peace on earth and goodwill to all a reality in our lives and in our living here and now. And in doing so, making sure in all things that our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, For Yonder Breaks a New and Glorious Morn. It's part of our current sermon series on the way to the Holy Night and was recorded during our December 22nd service of worship, Christmas Sunday, at East Congregational Church. Just a reminder that especially now that we're in the midst of the holiday season, we'd love to welcome you to our merry and meaningful celebration here at East Church. We gather for worship each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road in Concord, New Hampshire. And also we'll be gathering for a candlelight service of worship and celebration on Christmas Eve, starting at 7 o'clock. We invite you and yours to celebrate with us. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day and a very Merry Christmas. Talk to you soon.